Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. We are back on Cultural Pressure Points again with Season 2, Episode 25. This is the real Episode 25, not like that fake Episode 25 from last week. We're back with uh, the second part of our conversation with Joe Boot, Jeff Ventrella, and Andrew Sandlin talking about what we can learn from unbelievers, asking questions like, is it intellectually stifling to insist that knowledge and wisdom have to conform to God's revelation? And how do we cultivate a godly intellectual humility? I hope you keep on listening and enjoy it. Joe, you an, you anticipated uh, <clears throat> my next question a little bit here with your uh, your response there, but to uh, just to bring this back to to our initial uh, understand to our initial discussion of syncretism. So we know, like the believer and the unbeliever, we both live in God's world. We can both know true and right and accurate things, um, and we can, as believers, plunder the Egyptians, as as uh, you mentioned there, Joe. Uh, but um, what are to to bring this down a bit to to uh, try to bring some practical wisdom to bear? <clears throat> excuse me. What what are the principles uh, that a Christian should hold to on the question of learning from unbelievers? Like, at what point does uh, at what point does plundering the Egyptians become you know flopping into the devil's bucket and paddling around? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, what I would want uh, Andrew and Jeff to to to, to speak into this as well. Um, I think one of the interesting things um, when you that we could that we can explode straight away, and we must explode, uh, as Jeff pointed out early on in this discussion, the the, the myth of, of religious neutrality. Yeah. So when we're talking about uh, learning from or engaging with with non-Christian thought, we go we do so with our eyes wide open to the fact that there is no neutrality in in human thinking. Um, and reasoning, and one of the ways we know this is that even within any given intellectual tradition, and with and within any given area of um, what uh, what say Doyverd would have called the special sciences, uh, whether it be the natural sciences or the humanities, is that you see different schools of thought within all of those uh, different um, uh, uh, specializations and, and areas. So you see you see um, uh, thought going from one pole to another. Um, the, the, Andrew and Jeff will be familiar with the, the way Doiver talked about the, the form-matter uh, scheme of the, the Greco-Roman world, the nature-grace of the media, and the, and the nature-freedom uh, motive of the modern world uh, after uh, Immanuel Kant in particular. Um, who recognized that, that we were confronted with this problem that if nature is governed causally by laws uh, and um, those those laws are, are, are binding in reality, what happens to human freedom? What happens to... So he shunted freedom up into, uh, if you will, an upper story of reality, a sort of noumena realm above and beyond the phenomena of the of of the of the natural world and placed faith up there um and so we've ever since actually seen thought seen uh, human thinking in a variety of different areas move from an emphasis on uh nature or, or an emphasis on freedom so you've got the science the modern science ideal and you've still got the representatives of that in the dawkins and the hitchens and all of that and then you've got 
the the freedom idea, which we see uh, very much today expressed in the sort of existential um, motives of culture and self-definition and identity and free, you know, and the emphasis on freedom. So if you look at almost any area, you see that there are you, you, you can immediately see that there are different um, religious assumptions at work, even amongst the non-believers. Uh, so it isn't as simple as saying, well, look, here's the Christian view and here's the here, we're just going to uh, radically simplify and and caricature the non-believers view. We see yeah. these different uh, motives at work um, in non-believing thought. And I think that as as believers, what we should be doing uh, is trying to um, faithfully. Uh, first of all, our first priority is you can't recognize counterfeits until you until you know what the real thing is. And so, yeah. you know, if you're going to teach yeah. uh, uh, somebody to spot a counterfeit, I'm told or I've heard that uh, you get them to study the real that what they yeah. that their object of study is the real thing, yeah. and then they are able to recognize the counterfeit. And so, I think the first priority for the believer as we engage with uh, it, it, it sort of as, as a first principle would be we really need to understand and recognize and learn the contours of, of a biblical understanding of reality first. And as we as we grapple with that, as we see that, then as we engage with um, non-believers thinking, we'll begin to see the areas. Well, well, they've understood this correctly, but they've lost a grip on the truth. And there's inconsistency, there's incoherence, there's antinomy. There's misunderstanding here um, and there's an inability to account for reality as it is. I mean, Van Til once put it beautifully when he said that um, it's not that the non-believer can't count. He can count, but he cannot account for counting. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and so I think, you know, if we if we get a real handle on the biblical world and life view as it comes to us in Scripture, as it helps us interpret the concrete world that God has given to us and as we then look at creation and see God's uh, word manifest there uh, and we're diligent there will be much easier for us to see where there's a valid contribution mm -hmm. in non-Christian thought in a particular area um, so the mathematician he's counting right over here yeah. uh, but the questions then become are these things adequately accounted for so I, I but I'd like to hear from from Andrew and, and, and Jeff on uh, on this issue as well, in, in perhaps in that order, because it's hard for them on the phone here. That was eloquently expressed. Uh, too. I'll just mention what I did uh, last time. It's like Vern Poitras uh, said, all scientists believe in God. Now, not all scientists profess to believe in God, but in their work as scientists, they must operate on distinctively theistic presuppositions to arrive at accurate conclusions. So it's on that basis that we can recognize in God's common grace all sorts of discoveries of unbelievers. I mean, think about Einstein's discovery of the special uh, general theories of relativity. He was not a believer, uh, at best a, a vague theist, and yet nonetheless the predictability that he had to assume as he went through all of these calculations of heavenly motions, all of that assumed not just God, but a particular kind of God. As a matter of fact, I would assert the Christian God. And that's true on down the line with people that interact with creation all the time. So I think part of our responsibility is not to let unbelievers off the hook, to show them, ah, that's very good, that's very correct. Now, why would you believe that? That's right. And, well, you would only believe that because you have to make certain assumptions about the world that, as Joe, you indicated, are not consistent with an atheistic or agnostic or non-Christian worldview. And it's on that basis that we can enjoy and benefit from all of these well, technological benefits and so on. 
not because the people that embrace them are necessarily Christian, but because the people who developed them had to rely on distinctively theistic presuppositions. Jeff, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I would say this, um, uh, emphasizing both of what you said, I would say that uh, every person, particularly those who are Christian, obviously, but um, should know, believe, and trust the Lord God Almighty. And you do that by knowing, believing, and trusting his word as reflected in Revelation, or we call the scriptures. And then I think there comes a time of of humility of mind, of not uh, of understanding, being confident in whom we've known, believed, and trusted, but not being confident in our own flesh. So, by way of example, you see the Apostle Paul, and depending on how you do the chronology, he didn't, after his conversion, didn't do any teaching for, what, 14 or 17 years. He was in Arabia, he was studying, he was praying, he was thinking about these things. My only point is not that there's some type of enforced exile, but rather there is a time of dedication to learning about these kinds of things so that we're not one-hit wonders, or so that, as Paul says, we're not taken captive through philosophy and empty deceit. Uh, It's very easy to jump on bandwagons, particularly if we don't understand intellectual history, if we don't understand uh, theology uh, and all these kinds of things within the context of an overarching view of God and his creation, a cosmology. So I would suggest that we need to um, not just deal with uh, uh, symptoms, but look at systems, entire systems and how they compare. And when we do that, as Andrew said, and as you said, Joe, uh, we begin to uh, see where there's uh, inconsistencies, ironies, incoherences, and then we can ask the questions. We can begin dredging up understanding that uh, the people we're addressing are made in the very image and likeness of God. They have the work of the law written on their heart. They can't not know God at some level, and so that we can begin shining and begin resonating those uh, uh, principles and truths that are uh, within them. And when they have an aha moment of a great sunset, you can ask, that's a silly thing to do. How does that preserve your Darwinian, you know, fitness to survive? And we, we can ask those kinds of questions uh, and then in a non-alarmist kind of a way, begin putting a, a, a pebble in their shoe. Uh, and so they walk and get very uncomfortable. Now, some people won't want to know. Well, okay. So what I'm getting at is there's an ethical component as well as a uh, epistemological element here. So we have an obligation to not be out there, you know, yapping in a way that's irresponsible. We must have the uh, tender mercies of God. We must have the right manner with the right method. But we also are to be confident in the one who's redeemed us. There's no gun shying away. Uh, We must be prepared. We must go after it and and understand God is, quote, in this. Uh, He he desires us to be uh, bold and, and not, again, in ourselves or to win debates, but to be able to demonstrate the foolishness of unbelief and the truth and supremacy of Christ. And it's these are all gospel issues, by the way. If anyone, uh, I'm so sick of hearing, well, that's not a gospel issue. I want to be able to help people. Get, oh, where is that? Wrong. <laughs> yeah, wrong. yeah, these. The, the, yeah. It, if we if we go back to this notion um, of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and uh, Jeff, you referred there to to, to that passage where uh, Paul talks about not being 
taken captive by the um, empty philosophy according to the elemental principles of the world. And some people have deduced from that notion that, uh, well, you see, you know, philosophy is uh, philosophy's the problem. Um, and, uh, you know, we, the, the, the notion of systems, as you pointed out, that we th should be thinking about things as, as uh, coherent wholes, as a system, uh, that really that, you know, this is problematic and what we should be doing is searching for these scraps of wisdom here and there and dealing with concrete bits of wisdom here and there. But this idea of, you know, a really systematic understanding is, uh, is, is somehow, um, you know, offensive to, 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 to people. But of course, I think Paul, um, if there is a, if, if it's possible to, to do philosophy in terms of the elemental principles of the world mm -hmm. in an apostate way, then it surely is possible to do philosophy and biblical worldview thinking and any given area of, 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 of study um, in yeah. terms of a Christian or a, dare I say, biblical direction uh, and orientation. And if you take the, um, I think one of the, one of the sort of core principles of the tradition that we're speaking from, the whole idea of structure and direction, that the issue comes down to the structures of creation that both the believer and the non-believer are operating in are the same for all of us, but it's the direction of those things, whether they're going to be turned toward the fear of the Lord uh, and his word, or whether they're going to be turned in an apostate direction, which obviously affects everything. So, Andrew, you know, as I sort of as I sort of remark on on that, uh, and as we think about this notion of whether we use the term Christian or biblical, uh, this the, the article that we've referred to, the writer is sort of going after the very notion that we can talk about distinctly Christian or distinctly biblical approaches to things. Uh, what's at the root of of this sort of denial, Andrew, that uh, that we can't really talk about a Christian approach to the arts or a Christian approach to science or a biblical approach to law and politics and the state and so forth? Well, I think, as Jeff mentioned earlier, I, while we can't ascribe motives, I think there's a, a strong movement away from uh, the notion that the Bible itself is a final structuring authority and harmony, and harmony, of course, with creational law and and Jesus Christ. Now, I, here's what I this is my opinion. Now, I mean, I can't footnote this, but there is something of an intellectual scandal in holding the view that we hold. Uh, it's not going to be intellectually respectable among um, sophisticated uh, intellectual unbelievers. They're going to scoff at it. Uh, they're going to call us uh, fundamentalists and so on for believing the Bible. Whereas, I'll think about the viewpoint of uh, of Roberts. I'm not uh, personally attacking him. I'm just talking about this general viewpoint. If you hold the viewpoint that, well, we need to turn away from the Bible, maybe test things in the end by the Bible, but basically turn away from the Bible and investigate Freud and investigate yeah. uh, non-biblical systems and find wisdom there. Well, that's something that a lot of non-believers, including sophisticated non-believers, could get on board with. Well, come join with us. Yes, we realize Christianity may have uh, something to contribute, maybe one or two minor points on this, but so let's all get together and let's investigate this general wisdom uh, that we all agree on. But if they look at us, of course, and they say, well, you nutballs, basically, over at EICC and CCL, ADF and elsewhere, you're actually insisting on conformity to God's revelation, saying the Christian way is not merely the best way, but the only way, there is something scandalous about that. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the problem here is the attempt to 
uh, at least take the hard edge off that scandal. But if that's the case, I would ask, uh, humbly ask this author and others who hold that viewpoint, read the first two or three chapters of, uh, of the first Corinthians and read Colossians chapter one and Colossians chapter two and Ephesians chapter one mm-hmm. and Romans chapter one for that matter. Again and again, Paul is willing to press the scandal. And Jeff, you put it so beautifully that everything comes back to Jesus Christ. Everything comes back to our relationship to him and his revelation. And if we're unwilling to stand under at all times that revelation and allow that revelation to shape all of our thinking, the issue is not whether we can learn things outside the Bible. Of course we can, because the Bible tells us that we can. The issue is whether at every point we're tethered to the Word of God, and it's, Van Til would say, it's the lens, the glasses through which we interpret everything. That is scandalous in the modern world. And by the way, it was scandalous in the pre-modern world. It was scandalous in the ancient world. This is the part of a scandal of being a Christian. You've uh, you've mentioned that uh, you know the non- the non-believer can stumble across gold, um, whether that's in mathematics or mechanics or in uh, in ethical things, like in the, in a push to end or re- uh, fight against slavery or things like that. Um, do- does that principle extend to? patterns of thought or is this where we're seeing a uh, a radical antithesis like are there are there any pearls that we can pick up um from kant or is it uh, is the is the principle of uh, of biblical exclusivism uh more rigid in this uh, this realm oh well i mean i'll take up in that i mean clearly kant was correct in general that the human makes a contribution to the knowledge transaction mm-hmm. i mean that's just biblical truth i mean but for us, it's man's spiritual condition. Uh, Dewey Verbe would say the, the disposition of man's heart. Is it turned toward God or is it turned toward uh, creation which it worships? So on that general point, Kant certainly stumbled on the truth. Now, of course, the problem is he wanted to be autonomous. Yeah. He wanted man's thinking, these inherent uh, sort of uh, categories of the human mind, uh, to be autonomous. But uh, he did stumble on truth, but he didn't stumble on it uh, given unbelieving presuppositions. He stumbled on it giving believing presuppositions that he would not acknowledge. That's just one example of how that thing can happen. Yeah, yeah we, we learn from unbelievers also by way of negative example, right? I mean, that, that's a little different than your question, but the point is that in God's providential governing of the universe, there are some people who are given over to their presuppositions that we might learn. That's Paul, Paul said that the things that happened in the past were for our instruction. Well, what things happened in the past? Well, one was the stiff-neckedness of the Egyptian and the idolatry of the Egyptian so that we could learn from that. You know, a very popular book, and, and there's no, no uh, royalties paid to the author of it, but, uh, you know, Sun Tzu, right? The Art of War. Yeah. There's right. a lot of under... Now, now, let's talk about that. Why is there war? Well, we're in a fallen world. There's conflict. So the very right. notion of how to navigate between factions and including war, uh, warring factions presupposes a post-fall worldview. And, in okay. fact, the light that's been given to, uh, say, Sun Tzu in articulating some of these things, is it, um, you know, revelational? No. Uh, is there truth contained in a sense of practical reason with respect to engaging in some of these things? Yes. Another example, uh, and we see this, uh, in spades and in, in most of what happened in, in Europe and then again taken to Latin America is Machiavelli. Look, politics is just about pragmatism. It's about duplicity. Yeah, you can talk about religious stuff in order to control people, but it's really about 
getting what you want, so therefore it's about power. He discovered something uh, in a very pragmatic way about the, the state of the human heart and its bent and its appetites. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's, right. that's a really good thing to know, to understand and, of course, to not emulate it. But did he come to those, those things in truth? Absolutely. And then you take issues of art. Well, some of the artists were a very godly people, say, of the Renaissance or Renaissance or however you want to pronounce it. Um, but some of those, some of those artists were just reprobate, you know, uh, people. Yeah. Guess what? They learned amazing, uh, skills and techniques with respect to, uh, uh, colors and all those kinds of things. And they, and they may yeah. not have, have articulated glory to God, but they gave glory to God in what they created. So, um, it's yeah. not, this is why this Roberts article is just so, disappointing because it's just so simplistic if anyone's engaging in black and white thinking it's him yeah i think one of the things that comes out sort of clearly in all of this is uh especially as it relates to the 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 main thought there in in ryan's question is that um and i think van till would have been the first to point this out uh uh in in this sort of discussion would be that um there's different degrees of, you know, let's use the, the, the expression that he would have used, you know, epistemological self-consciousness. Um, yeah. And so because of the fact that creation is a given, and as Andrew has said, you know, it's just unacknowledged, you know, we, man in his rebellion against God doesn't want to acknowledge the givenness of creation and the categories that are given with creation. Um, and so when he's not openly, and if you take the Renaissance period that you've referred to there, Jeff, and uh, you look at some of the, the sort of humanistic motif that was coming through in the Renaissance, but nonetheless, it was it was in the context of a of Christendom, which uh, it, it, which which shaped and tempered um, the 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 sort of autonomous uh, the placing of man in the in the driving seat there in 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 the Renaissance. It's being tempered all the time. It's being it's being restricted and held back all the time from running to a truly self-conscious expression. Um, yeah. and, and so it's nowhere near as, 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 as damaging as what we then find with the so-called enlightenment, where you've got a much more uh, self-conscious, anti-God, anti-Christian starting point. And so when you come to a thinker, say, like Karl Marx, or you take somebody in the area of psychology like like um, Jung, and you're dealing with men who uh, have deliberately, self-consciously chosen an anti-God, uh, anti-Christian, anti-Christ. I mean, the Apostle John says many antichrists have gone out into the world, and they take a, dis- a, a deliberately, distinctively anti-Christian perspective. I think that's where we have to have, be much more uh, careful and conscious of the fact that when somebody is self-consciously starting and trying to consistently work out a position that is self-consciously opposed to God and Scripture, then we're going to be struggling to find redeeming features. I mean, in 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 uh, Marxist economics, I'm really struggling to find. I'm not stumbling over a great deal of gold there. Right. No, that's right. No, that's right. And I think uh, if you think about it, think about the shift from enlightenment to postmodernity to essentially uh, revive romanticism. At least enlightenment recognized universal standards, right. false though they were. You know, the, but what you have with postmodernity and romanticism is every individual becomes his own artist, his own inventor. 
And then you come to a sort of rabbit apostasy, of course, and mentioned a couple of times the guy, people, you can Google it if you want. You guys know about it. The, the dragon guy, he became, first of all, with this quote, transgender, the man into the woman, and now he's yeah. cutting himself and modifying his body to become a dragon. Well, that's actually a consistent form of epistemological self-consciousness. Yes. Now, in a sense, though it's, it's bad in his case, it's very good for believers to at least see that because they can see where certain presuppositions go. He's actually not acting inconsistently with a postmodern and romantic worldview that the person inside, apart from the body, is the real inventor uh, and right. the reinventor and the true creator. There's no creator. The reality is only what I make it. That's precisely the way of thinking Today. that leads him to do that and others to a greater or lesser extent. Yeah, the whole identity movement, the whole self, uh, self-identifying self movement is really a sort of self, you're saying, is really a, a self-conscious a consistent expression of the religious starting point. That's right. And I think one reason I really appreciate ADF and their work in this, uh, legally, they're, they're, I mean, it's just in the last five years, the last three years, an explosion of legal cases of just uh, not grudging acceptance, but active, legal, relentless hostility toward Christians. Yes. It's precisely because of this. I think unbelievers yes. epistemologically recognize, okay, Christians and Christianity are not something we can coexist with with respect to our own presuppositions. I mean, human autonomy is just not in any way compatible with the Christian worldview. It's not anywhere in society. And I think they're seeing that, and that's why I think you're seeing these legal battles. Yeah, and guys like uh, Dewey uh, very clearly said that uh, the the, the principle of human autonomy and, and, and democracy in the way that he understood it uh, that Christianity, that the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of man were mutually incompatible assumptions. He said it himself. That's right. Yeah, and that's correct. And uh, we have to be willing to press those, recognizing all the while God's common grace, being grateful for the fact that people are not consistent. Most people are not consistent. Uh, and by the way, I would say that also true of believers. We're not always consistent in our thought. We still have the remnants of sin, and that's why Jeff was right to talk about we need not be arrogant, but be very humble about our own views, not about God, but about our own views. Nonetheless, having said all that, we recognize this constant epistemological battle. And until there's victory for one side or the other, and I believe biblically over time, it's, uh, I not believe I know it's going to be Christianity and the, the triune God. Until that, we're going to have to expect these kinds of battles, intellectually and elsewhere. So uh, um, maybe as Ryan, uh, I think, wraps this up, um, be good to be reminded of a, uh, of a, of a couple of scriptures the, where Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.31, uh, uh, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all, do it all to the glory of God. Uh, the all-encompassing character of the, the kingdom there, that there's no, uh, you seek, the seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or his justice uh, there's no synthetic position there. And uh, Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Amen. And I think if we keep those two things in mind uh, and hold them together, that, that in terms of our, our lives, we're living, eating, and drinking in every aspect to the glory of God, because all things... Uh, are supposed to be, according to Revelation 4.11, directed 
to his glory because all things were created uh, for God uh, from him and through him and to him, as Paul says, uh, are all things. Um, Ryan, do you, yeah, want to, sure. do you want to wrap up with any comment here? or? Uh... No, I think, uh, I think the inspired word of God there said it uh, probably a little better than I might have. But, uh, <laughs> really? I'm, 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 so, I'm really surprised to hear you say that. I'm, I'm learning humility <laughs> here. Like, there's, a, there's an epistemological Come on, Ryan, did you have some worldly wisdom, some wisdom outside the Word of God that might be actually superior to the Word of God? Maybe you've got a little, maybe you've got a little ditty there from Derrida or something, Jeff, that you could share with us to sort of... <laughs> to, 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 to conclude the program. Anyway, Jeff, Andrew... Um, we're uh, we're so grateful that uh, that your fellows of the EICC we're so grateful you've taken time to to join us to discuss this today, um, and um, you know obviously it's our hope that uh, uh, that the other groups who actually want to engage in this the discussion will be you know would would do so without uh, putting up the straw men and actually let's have the, let's have a robust uh, debate and discussion about this. And let's not, you know, be attacking um, uh, wantonly Christian brothers and sisters who are simply trying to equip a struggling church in our generation uh, with the tools to live faithfully for Christ. That's such. A That's good right. Point. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be attacking the people that are trying to be more biblical, that are trying to turn people to the Word of God, trying to turn the culture back to the authority of Jesus Christ. Those are not the people I, I wouldn't want to find myself opposing. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, so um, we would uh, we would love to uh, love to have a conversation with uh, with Alistair with, uh, with somebody House. somebody at Davenant House. I don't know if any of them hear us listen to this, but we this is uh, we're not we're not here trying to hide behind a screen and take shots at uh, at any of them. We would love to uh, to bring this conversation out into the open. They're most welcome to the Runner Academy coming up in uh, That's true. Uh, end That's of right. July, beginning of August uh, to actually get a, uh, if they want to come and audit, somebody to come up to audit the program um, and actually understand what we are saying and what we, what we are not saying, that they'd be more than welcome to do that so we can cont continue this discussion. But uh, Jeff, Andrew, we're, we're so grateful you joined us today on, the, um, on our podcast for Cultural Reformation and um, your your insights um, and um, wisdom in these matters. Not just that you, you're not um, you're not armchair uh, philosophers and theologians. You're out there cutting it on the face, engaging with real people, fighting uh, on the front line of the battle. And uh, we're grateful for you both and for your ministries. Thank you very much. Same to you. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.